You're listening to El Yoshi Diddy Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. All right, thanks for listening to the new episode of Yoshi Didn't. I'm back in the San Fernando Valley. I'm here with my friend Craig Gass. Yoshi Didn't. <laughs> thanks, Craig. Yoshi Didn't. That's crazy. Craig, uh, oh, first of all, I want to dedicate this episode to uh, Midnight Ice Cream. It's a um, skateboard and t-shirt company up in Seattle run by my brother, uh, Skater Yosh. So um, anyway, this is going to be a Seattle-heavy episode. and uh, Holy shit, is this going to be Seattle-heavy? Craig. You're wearing a Seahawks hat. I'm wearing a Seahawks, Seahawks jersey, jersey and a Mariners hat. Ridiculous. Um, you 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 must be pretty happy with what's going. I mean, I'm so I apologize to the listeners overseas. Probably some of this conversation <laughs> makes no sense, but uh, we're excited because Seattle Seahawks NFL team is doing extremely well. Can we back up a minute before that? Yeah. You and I have known each other for twenty years. Twenty now, years, yeah. And I really value our friendship and. Uh, and it's pretty neat uh, anytime I get to see you because there's so much history that we have. Um, we started out together with a, a group of guys uh, at open mics and we would see each other at least three or four nights a week um, uh, at a time when um, uh, just getting on stage was just so valuable, just, just being able to get stage time. So much so that my memory is that when I heard about a place that had a stage, I would actually keep it to myself and I wouldn't share it with anybody. And I'd yeah. go, wait, and they go, yeah, it's the, you know, you can do as much time as you want. And then I go, oh, wow, and I wouldn't tell anybody about it. And I'd, I'd drive there early on the night that they were doing comedy and everybody would be there and I'd be like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> you know, I was hoping to get more stage time. I didn't care about money nobody cared about money we just we just love I, I think when you're doing stand-up comedy in the pacific northwest especially in the seattle area there's no industry so i think people are doing it just for fun yeah i i was i was just in love with comedy and and we both we both love this one particular individual and we we know that person in seattle uh, washington um well, there's a few of them that just came to mind. Well, well as, as far as comedy goes, you know, I could never say his last name right, but Carl. Uh, Why can't you say his last name? <laughs> you can't pronounce it? Warhoven? Warmanhoven. Warmanhoven. And, um, well, he... He was Car instrumental for so many comedians in, in the Seattle area. And his influence is still there. It's um, Carl is a guy who uh, I naively thought existed in every comedy club i once i kind of got the idea because this it just happened to be that's where we started we sure. we started at this club in seattle that there was this guy carl warmenhoven and uh he just believed in everybody and and no matter how terrible you were no matter how god awful you were on stage he'd pull you aside and go hey maybe if you tried this or if you tried that and and uh and many times he was the only guy giving sure. you supportive <laughs> advice and telling you that you're actually good. And uh, he uh, he's an incredibly kind person, an uh, incredibly kind person, and loves comedy, lo loves stand up comedy, and um, and he made me believe in myself so much. 
<laughs> I just went out and did it. Like, yeah. I just really believed I could do it. I was so ignorant that I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to New York. I'm going to pursue this. And I got on the Howard Stern show and then, you know. Oh, yeah. These- and let, 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 let me tell the uh, audience, uh, I'm here with Craig Gass, a friend of mine, once again. And you're many, many things. You're a stand-up comedian, actor, writer, um, radio personality, and you you have a uh, expansive knowledge in sports, particularly Seattle sports scene. And um, you uh, travel all over the world doing comedy. And um, I know you always laugh, but there's many times you had a uh, many hardship. You know, I mean, I remember the story. You one of the first, if not the first time, you came to Seattle. You were with your buddy. And you completely broke. And what was the story where... Oh, shit. <laughs> About how I hadn't eaten in a few days? Yeah, you haven't eaten for oh, a few wow. days. Oh, wow. Yeah, I hadn't eaten in a few days. And it was a guy... Um, and you're starving. Uh, well, yeah, I hadn't yeah. eaten in a few days. And uh, it was a guy who was um, uh, a friend of mine who was a close friend. And, uh, and I couldn't see past like clear indications that we weren't as good of friends as I thought we were. Like he <laughs> yes. fucked my girlfriend that I was in love with. And yeah. I was like, why did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like really bumped out. And then, uh, we, uh, and you're very forgiving about stuff like that, which most guys can't do that. No, I wasn't forgiving. I was, I actually, uh, told him, um, Hey man, uh, you know, what, what the hell? Like I, he, he told me I wasn't even aware of it. And, he just told me like hey man how come you haven't brought this up and i go brought what up and he goes about me and and i'm like what about you and her and and he said oh come on man and i was like what and i go you didn't fuck her did you and he just stared at me and i was like did you fuck her and i was like <laughs> whoa, whoa i didn't know that you fuck when did that happen and he goes craig you were right there the next day you walked past us and we were both laying on the floor together mm-hmm. and i said yeah, but you're my friend. I, I wouldn't have... <laughs> How old were you at the time? I was 19, I think. Oh. 18, 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, and then when we got to Seattle, um, we... Uh, wait, wait, first of all, were you driving from where to Seattle? Uh, Arizona. Okay. I was born in New York. Right. Moved to Arizona because my whole family, and this is not a joke... My entire family is deaf. My mom, my dad, and my sister are all completely deaf. And also, I forgot to mention, because of this incredible background, you have this uncanny ability to mimic people, the impression. You, you, that's another thing you're famous for. You do so many different impressions of people. Like it's, it's really shocking. Well, and the reason I've been able to do that is because growing up in a deaf family, I couldn't learn how to speak from my own family. I learned how to speak by copying all the voices I heard on TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never got an accent from the Bronx, which is where I grew up. And everybody in the Bronx has a really thick, like Tracy Morgan, the comedian from 30 Rock. Everybody in the Bronx talk like this, whether you black or white, <laughs> male or female, that's crazy. Hey, this is the voice of your next door neighbor and I'm a Vietnamese girl, that's crazy. Hey, this is the voice of your mailman, and I'm a transsexual. Come get your mail, baby. That's crazy. So, yeah, the weirder the voice, the easier it was for me to do it. Uh, like uh, Christopher Walken. Oh, got a real stop and go kind of voice where he'll talk every once in a while. He'll stop, and then he'll keep going. Or uh, Al Pacino, which is... Uh, all the way down here. 
That's a voice that women love to hear, even though he loves to yell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and but uh, you know what? The one I mean, they're, they're, those are all unbelievable. But one that everyone, even people who might not like you doing voices because they're in the same business too. One thing even they will gradually admit is Sam Kennison. It's it, that that I don't think anybody else in the whole world does it. Well, they are. There well, is. Well, I'm, I just heard uh, an interview on Obi and Anthony. They're making a movie about Sam Kinison life, and Jim Norton, our friend Jim, was cool enough to say, uh, "Man, you know who does a great Sam Kinison mm-hmm. is this comedian Craig Gass and the actor uh, Josh. Uh, what is his name? Josh Egad or something like that." Said, uh, "Oh yeah, I'm actually watching him, and I'm stealing his impression. That's exactly <laughs> wow. what he's. I was fucking floored by that. But yeah, Sam Kinison was a guy who was around, uh, sadly, over 20 years ago. It's been 20 years since he's been gone. He died in uh, driving away from Vegas, car accident. Yep. And uh, uh, he's just driving down the street, just minding his own business. And then some drunk guy decided he wanted to come over and swipe me off the road." <laughs> Oh. Hey, wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. But uh yeah, that's I remember when I first started coming to LA and performing and I would do Sam Kinison. People in uh the comedy store would just go like, "What the fuck?" Like the reaction wasn't like because at that time they they of course everyone's familiar with his act and yeah, and so to hear everybody it. just go quiet. Yeah, night, night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When 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 well, we we will definitely. Um, it's always go, it's always good during a podcast to snap a bubble wrap <laughs> right in the middle of a podcast. Well, I don't know if you Sorry. if you did it or yeah. you're actually doing an impression of a bubble. Yeah, that's true. Wow, good point. Good point. But yeah, I I really value the friendship that we've had because we both, um, me and you, and a couple other guys who were part of that group 20 years ago uh josh wolf who's now gone on to chelsea lately chelsea lately uh joey diaz brody stevens brody stevens chelsea lately and his own show and his own Zach sh- yep um these, Manu also working on that show yep and and all these guys who are uh all kind of finding their own paths and, mm-hmm. and then yoshi who's been around the world with everybody from uh jim norton and david tell to russell um, peters russell yeah. peters and and it, it's kind of neat to check back in with each other, and and uh, as we've all developed friendships with everybody, sure, you know, it's kind of a crazy thing. And um, but specifically to us, I've taken this ridiculous love of the Seahawks and the Mariners, and I actually book my shows around the United States, around the Seahawks and Mariners road schedule, which is ridiculous. And you know, one of my, um, I, I I think this is the ugly side of show business, and when. <laughs> When when you when you go places like New York and L A, sometimes comedians get angry with other comedians getting stuff. Yeah. But with me, well, I mean, I I have those feelings sometimes too because if I don't like the person, I don't like it. But man, it was such a thrill to s- me to see you during the first pitch at Cardinals game. Oh yeah. I feel like I was part of it. Yeah. You know, I was so happy that you did that. I don't know how many times you did it, but yeah, whenever my friends do something wonderful because of the uh, the commitment to comedy and entertainment yeah it's awesome dude and so i, I was really happy you're getting more attached to mariners um seahawks yeah and um it's it's i'm really happy for you that first pitch thing there was actually uh, i got a minor league offer first 
which was, and, and only people in Seattle will know who this team is. I got a phone call from a team called the Everett Aqua Sox, who said, uh, and they are A-level ball. Major League Baseball has a farm system where there's different levels of, uh, of um, uh, amateur professional athletes, I guess you could call them, uh, uh, in the minor leagues where they, um, depending on your skill set level, um, they place you either in A, double A, or triple A. And triple A is the highest among that minor league. Triple A is the mm-hmm. highest. And if you get to triple A, you're, you're good enough to play the pros, and it's really just a matter of time uh, before you get or called t- up. Or injury in major league. Yeah, so but yeah. A-level ball, typically guys who play A-level ball almost never go beyond A-level. Yeah. And that was the team that called me. They are part of the Seattle Mariners organization. Sure. They're A-level ball called the Everett Aquasox, and they said, uh, don't know if you know who we are, but we'd love to invite you to – throw the first pitch and I was like are you fucking kidding me I, I went to games there their mascot is a big hot dog with a mustard <laughs> right. stain on his crotch I've rubbed the mustard stain you know I'm like dude I, I totally know who the Everett Aqua Sox are and I'm so excited I go there to throw out the first pitch and I go with my buddy Jason we all know Jason Stewart very uh, funny comic very funny comic J.R. Stewart uh, who's up in Seattle and uh who gets confused sometimes with another Jason Stewart in a San Francisco. Comic. A gay comic. Yeah. Yes. Now, Jason Huge uh, Stewart. Difference. Yeah, big difference. Jason Stewart we're talking about is a straight comic from Seattle, a real funny guy. And uh, Jason is driving me to the Everett Aqua Sox to throw out the first pitch. And he looks at me and says, hey, by the way, <clears throat> uh, I brought two gloves and a ball in the trunk. And I go, for what? And he goes, to warm up. And I go, Jason. It's just one throw. I go, how bad can you fuck up one throw? Right. And not only did I bounce the ball five times, but it almost went in the visitor's dugout. And then after I threw out my first pitch, they brought out a six-year-old kid with lupus who threw a perfect strike. (laughs) He fucking nailed it. Like a 70-mile-an-hour like fastball. I was like, holy shit, this kid with lupus. Like... It was embarrassing. So when I got the chance to throw out a first pitch for the Cardinals-Cubs game, I was like, all right. You must have been practicing, right? I practiced and practiced and practiced. I actually threw a perfect strike, and I celebrated on the mound. And and to those of you overseas, I can't emphasize enough, St. Louis Cardinals, one of the great franchises, they have the second most World Series uh, uh, championship. Behind the Yankees. Yankees. And... Their better rival, Chicago, oh, the Chicago Cubs. Cubs. So yeah. this is not a this this is a pretty big rivalry. Yeah, it's it's not as bad as let's say New York and the Red Sox, but it's up there traditionally. Yeah. yeah. So um, there's a lot of people, obviously. Yeah. And uh, St. Louis Cardinals fans are very smart, and very savvy, and they're a massive fan of that team. Mm-hmm. And um, so were you a little nervous because I, I know it's sold out. Um. I didn't really think about it until they called my name, mm-hmm. and then I could hear my name piping through these massive speakers throughout the stadium. Uh, they gave me an introduction. Uh, I'm sure they mentioned the fact that you were in, you were in the Sex in the City, yeah, Holliston show, King of Queens. King I think Queen. they mentioned King of Queens, Sex in the City, and maybe Family Guy. I don't know if I had started doing Family Guy yet by then. And you weren't you in one of those Vegas show? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It was a TV show called Las Vegas with uh, James Con. And uh, Alec Baldwin was my partner on the show. We robbed the casino together. So, so you have a lot of extensive radio, a TV, movie credits, mm-hmm. and as far and also uh, we also will cover the fact that you you were a young guy and went to uh, you were a roadie for music tours. So you you you're, you had a well rounded. 
interesting life, you know? Well, I love music. I, I actually managed bands. My first love was, was music. And I used to manage bands and book and promote concerts from the time I was 15 until I was 23. I used to book and promote concerts all around the Southwest. I was living in Tucson, and I would book shows, nightclub shows for bands in Tucson, Phoenix, uh, El Paso, Albuquerque, um, and we would do these tours. Um, that I just I wanted to be in the music business so bad, and and I made a ton of friends in the music business, and it just didn't work out. And your connection's so good. I don't know how many times you took me concerts. Like I was blown away. Rolling Stone concert, my first trip ever to Canada. Yeah, Rush, um, bunch of other ones you took me, and like, yeah, you you, you just had this connection with these uh, people in music. And it's always first class treatment, you know. Well, and it's still, I'm still friends with all my favorite bands, and uh, and I love. I mean, I love free shit, but uh, <laughs> I, mean, I really yeah. that's that's what it comes down to is uh, I love free shit from uh, you know whatever. But it's, um, uh, but that that is the neatest thing for me is to have uh, a mutual admiration society from my favorite bands. I mean. Uh, you know, um, was it two or three weeks ago? I'm, I'm in, um, uh, I was in uh, Arizona. Buck Cherry was there. I love their great live band. They invited me to come down and hang out with them. Uh, a few weeks before that, uh, uh, Sugar Ray, uh, who the whole band has always been huge fans of the Howard Stern show, and they've always been aware of me and have, have uh, said really nice things about me publicly. And, and I went to go see Sugar Ray in this big outdoor venue in Chicago and they said hey you want to go on stage and do something I go yeah and I ended up going on stage and uh, 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 Pearl Jam the other night in Brooklyn um, it's just it's neat it's really neat to have um, ah, so you went to Pearl Jam? Uh, yeah, one of the guys in Pearl Jam is on my new album uh, I actually I got this new album I filmed a show that I decided um, I want to do something weird um, all my comedian <clears throat> friends, all of our comedian friends, whenever they want to do a comedy special, sure. they always want to film it in a really nice theater with a really nice production, and they try to look as good as possible. I wanted to film my show in a shit hole, in a dump. Was and, it in Seattle? Yeah, it was in Milton, Washington, at a place <laughs> called Dave's. Yeah. And it's called the worst comedy show ever. And I filmed it in this dive bar in Milton, Washington. Um, wait, wait, why did you pick there? Uh, it was the setting was perfect. Like uh, there was, uh, I've been doing these shows where, like, if I work in a comedy club on a Thursday through Saturday, Thursday typically is really slow for everybody. And um, so I started developing this material on Thursday nights where I would have the most fun on the slow nights because I would say, "Hey, I know you guys noticed it's kind of a small crowd tonight. Don't be, you know, don't feel bad. This is actually." I wanted the show to be like this. This is actually... You guys are part of a dream gig that I set up. Um, I've always wanted to perform at an AA meeting or whatever. I would just, you know... I would try to turn it into a positive and make fun of the room and... and I, actually, those are like... Could be an opportunity because less pressure, but like you could kind of experiment, do things you were kind of thinking about doing. Yeah, them. yeah. And um, they're more inclined to go with it because they feel like you're trying to do something different and they feel connected with you. So yeah. I, I, I completely understand. So, yeah. and this place, Dave's, is magical to me. I mean, it's just the place is like falling apart. 
uh, they do their shows with a microphone that's that's held together with electrical tape. Sure. Um, they're uh, they do they have one speaker. They don't even do the shows in stereo. It's just one speaker in mono. Um, they had a wall of fame on the wall that consisted of one creepy guy on the wall. It's just one picture. Um, there's uh, uh, they originally had the stage at in the middle of the room. And then they moved it over to the corner, but they didn't move the curtains. So there's still curtains that frame nothing right. in the middle of the room. Um, there's so many things about it that, you know, they have lighting that goes in different directions. Don't even point at the performers, you know. So I wanted to film it there, and, that, and that's where I filmed it. It's called The Worst Comedy Show Ever. And some of the guys in Allison Chains and some of the guys in Pearl Jam make cameos on this thing. Mostly they show up. To show how much better their lives are than mine by by coming to my show in my little dive bar, and um, well, I what's love the it. website where people go buy it? It's getgas.com. Get gas with two s's. dot com. And there's also links there. G e t g a s s dot com. Yeah, g e t g a s s dot com. And there's also links there to my Facebook and my Twitter pages, which I'm very proud of because. I put a lot of weird fucking pictures on my Facebook pages. Like anytime I find myself in a weird moment mm -hmm. with a celebrity, I always want to post it uh, and and capture that moment. For example, I was at a heavy metal concert two years ago in Long Beach, California. Slayer and Megadeth, and the guys in Slayer and Megadeth are huge comedy fans, right? And um, so they always. Um, uh, come out to my shows and I asked if I could come to the concert and they let me bring some comedians and as you know I love to bring comedians backstage to me to shows and I want to see what's going on backstage at a Slayer show because I want to see like what devil worshippers do I don't, I don't know <laughs> what they're doing I was like I want to see what devil people and I do and when you meet them couldn't be a nicer people yeah. Uh, yeah so I'm walking backstage at this heavy metal concert and I got a couple comedians with me who was it and um, uh, that night it was, wait, it was my friend Chris Mahan. I can't remember who the two comedians were. But my, fr my friend Chris that I grew up with in Tucson. And there's two comedians. But the reason I've forgotten who was there is because as I'm walking backstage, a guy walking in the other direction stopped me and said, Craig, you're a, a comedian, right? You're the uh, comedian, does voices, and uh, right? And I go, yeah. And he goes, hey, I, ju I just want to say hi. I'm a big fan. My name's Kenny. And I go, hey, Kenny. Are you Kenny G? And he goes, yeah. And I go, what the fuck are you doing at a Slayer concert? And he goes, ah, you know, my my, my kid's a big metalhead. And if people don't know who he is, well, how do you explain yeah, his music? Yeah, like, yeah. And then it's, it's a feel-good music, right? Yeah, Kenny G plays a flute, and he's backstage <laughs> at a heavy metal Slayer, like the devil. And in fact, this devil-worshipping dude jumped on Kenny G while I was talking to him. This heavy metal Slayer fan that was like, what's up? Kenny G, fucking Slayer. What's up, fucking ooh? Like, that's the way Slayer fans sound. They're like, ooh, I like the devil. And what's ooh. the funny part? That's a chick. Yeah, that's... <laughs> he sounds like the Cookie Monster. Oh, Cookie, I like the devil. I like... I'm a... Ooh, I like dudes. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, so... I gotta work on that impression, but... So, uh... So, while the devil is talking to Kenny G, I look at my buddy and I'm like, dude, fucking Kenny G. I pull up my camera phone. I'm like, dude, take a picture. It's fucking... Kenny G just said hi to me and I and but make it look natural. Just make it look natural. And I, I wait for Kenny to get done and I go, Kenny, hey, uh, so what are you saying about and I'm like trying to <laughs> I turn like I'm trying to do like my casual face, like oh I'm just trying to look natural. Trying yeah, to look yeah, natural, yeah. like but with Kenny G and I'm making this dumb face and I see my friend with a camera phone going, 
Where do I push? I don't. And I'm like, and I'm trying to keep Kenny G with me. And I'm like, fuck, dude, Obviously take not the an picture. Asian person. Yes, exactly. And then the singer of Megadeth starts walking behind us, and he stops behind me and Kenny G. His name's Dave Mustaine, and I hear him say to his friends, "Are you guys leaving? Okay. You want to say a prayer? Okay, let's do this." And they formed a prayer circle. Behind me and Kenny G. The Slayer guys? The the Megadeth guy. Oh, Megadeth. Okay. The singer of Megadeth is forming a prayer circle behind me and Kenny G. And I'm looking at my friend with a camera phone going, take the fucking picture. Like, this is the perfect. And he got it. <laughs> and it's on my Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com slash I love gas. <laughs> I love gas yeah. with two S's. And go to my profile pictures, and you will see a picture of me talking to Kenny, Kenny G, G while the singer of fucking Megadeth is in a prayer circle behind us. That'll never happen again in humankind. <laughs> and one other moment <laughs> yeah. is at the roast of Gene Simmons. There's a moment where Steve-O from Jackass gets thrown out of the roast. And by the way, you do unbelievable impression of um, Gene Simmons and, um, and Gene. Stanley. Yeah, and uh, Gene, uh, at the roast of Gene Simmons, Steve-O from Jackass got thrown out of the roast. They never explained why he got thrown out. And the reason is because what Steve-O did to get thrown out happened during a break in filming. But it literally happened right next to me. And I pulled out my camera phone and I went, holy shit. And I took a perfect picture of it. Go to Facebook.com slash I love gas with two S's. Go to my profile pictures and you will see a perfect picture of Steve-O from Jackass pissing on Danny Bonaducci. It's the coolest picture you've ever seen. It's like, it's insane. <laughs> Danny Bonaducci from the Partridge family is getting peed on by Steve-O. So um, I'm very proud of those weird uh, pictures that I post on there. So, um, And uh, I actually just posted some funny pictures from a Pearl Jam show that I was at in Brooklyn that uh, um, that are on there too. But anyways, so... Uh, well, let's... let's um, I want to talk about your family, but let's finish the story because you're driving to Seattle, you're hungry, and your buddy... Who fucked your girlfriend? <laughs> so, but you're you're. What a way to summarize a I'm friendship! Just, I'm just, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, yeah. So um, you, you're driving from Arizona, and it's a quite a distance, you know. I mean, well, no, we had already arrived in Seattle, right? And I ran out of food, right? And I was and going money. And, and money, and I hadn't eaten in three days, right? And my friend said, "I need to run some errands," and I said. Do you mind if I ride along? I've got nothing to do. And he said, uh, I guess, yeah. So I rode along with him. And he ran out and did errands all day, uh, getting his registration mm. for Washington State, getting his license plates, whatever. And then at the end of the day, we're in this parking lot. And you just drove from Arizona with this guy, right? Yeah, yeah. We just and drove he knows you haven't been eating for three days. He knows I haven't eaten in three days. Right. And we're sitting in this parking lot. And he fucked your girlfriend. And he had fucked her. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just I want to remind him of a scenario. Yoshi, okay. you're, you're making things much more clear for me. Yes. I, I, I'm starting to realize. Yeah. I'm starting to get it now. Yeah. And uh, so he uh, <laughs> is, is just staring off in the distance. He's mesmerized by something. Mm -hmm. And I look at him and I go, is something wrong? And he said, I'm just thinking. I go, okay. And then I look at what he's staring at. There's a Burger King at the other end of the park. Right. I go, oh, are you going to get some Burger King? And he said, well, I want to, but I know you haven't eaten in a few days, and I don't want to eat in front of you. And I go, oh. <laughs> and I go, hey, man. And I, that in itself didn't like, you know. And I said, 
Hey, if you're hungry, I mean, you know, dude, go ahead. I mean, you know, I'm, that, I'm, I'm, you know, being very passive. I'm just like, okay, uh, okay. This is the very astonishing thing to me because growing up in Japan, you don't they 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 really train bitter shit into your head. You don't always think about yourself. That's why some people think Japanese are dishonest people because they don't want to tell you the truth if the truth has something to do with hurting that person feeling or something. Wow, interesting. So. A Japanese person, I can't. I'm almost the percentage Japanese will do that. It's the same percentage of people. Uh, same percentage of Walter Weiss crystal meth. There's no way 98.5 percent of Japanese will allow somebody to starve. Yeah, ordering a food, not even buying for that person. It's well, just, it's just unbelievable. There's an amazing moment. All right. Uh, so I tell him like, "Hey, man, if you're hungry, go ahead and eat." And uh, and, and the fact that you have to say that—that's amazing to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, at the time, I mean, you know, I didn't. You know, there's a long story behind that about what I really didn't understand about friendships. He was really my only real good friend that I'd had growing up, and and I just assumed you need to improve the idea of friendship. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and but I had assumed that that's the way friendships are. Yeah, that uh, you got to look out for yourself. It's yeah. every man for himself. It wasn't until oh, I started making other friends that I realized, oh wow, you know, other people will. Yeah, other people will actually will, buy me food and not fuck my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Or offer like, hey, would you like something too? And yeah. offer to buy me. And then my initial reaction to that, which I had also learned from this guy, was like, order as much as you can because yeah. if someone's going to offer, man, you got to take advantage of that. So I was a little bit of a Neanderthal uh, emotionally. Uh, and, um, you know, so we pull up to the Burger King and, uh, and I noticed there's a tapestry hanging off the Burger King mm -hmm. that says limited time only. Uh, Whopper with cheese, 99 cents. This right. is 20 years ago. 99 right. cents. Whoppers with cheese. And um, so he's ordering his food. And uh, and I go, uh, hey, um, <laughs> is it cool if I borrow a dollar? And then he just exploded and was like, fuck, Craig. I'm fucking, listen, man, we're try I'm trying to get by here. And I'm like, dude, I know, but I just, I haven't eaten in three days. He goes, hey, man, we're all struggling here. And I was like, all right. I just let it go, and that was it. And uh, yeah, it's so he still didn't buy you. He still didn't buy. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! And here's the crazy. Who is this motherfucker? <laughs> it was a guy. I hope he have AIDS and burned to death. <laughs> it's a friend of mine that I grew up with. Who, you That's know, not a friend. I'm sorry, but yeah. You know, well, it's you know, if it's just it, it, that is, uh, I'm, I, I'm sure he's changed a lot. We we all change as we get older. But uh, do but, you yeah, still was, see him? Uh, occasionally, yeah. God, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. You know what popped in my head? That scene from Sling Blade when the guy put the blade <laughs> into the guy's head because that's what he deserved. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it's. I learned a lesson. I mean, you know what's funny is is. Uh, and you know, uh, you're you're so different from me that you don't hold grudge, and I'm completely opposite. I just don't forgive people. It's very hard. I think that uh, what I do is is. Um, Somewhere along the way, I learned this lesson of like when somebody fucks you over, you go, "Oh, okay, I, I'm I'm gonna stay away from you." Like I just kind of move on. Sure. Like, like I I uh, I had <laughs> this crazy thing where I was like living at a famous guy's house in uh, in Los Angeles, and um, you don't want to say his name. I know who it is. Yeah, go ahead. It's Eddie Van Halen. Right. But, um, um, and he and, came to your show. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a fan of music and comedy. <laughs> 
We didn't go through him. He came to the show. He gave and I, I, I was I was shocked. You know, I'm not. Did you take a picture of them? Yeah, and and he was very very nice. But I I I was surprised. Like you were able to bring people like that to your show. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's Eddie fucking. You know. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm a fan too. It was, yeah. was kind of weird when I first started coming out to L.A. and working on and acting on TV shows early on. I met Eddie's assistant at a concert and uh, we became friends and uh and uh i didn't know what he did someone told me this guy lives with one of the biggest rock stars on the planet sure but, but don't tell him i told you that i said all right and then it come to find out we make plans to go bowling and he brings eddie van halen to the bowling alley and i was like what the fuck and he brought his son wolfgang too right? and wolfgang was there too yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and uh so it became this really interesting um uh, relationship, like, I, do, 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 do you think this is just you or the, like musician and like those successful musicians actually like comedians too, or is it? Do you think it's just specifically with you? You know what I was gonna say earlier that what I've noticed is that uh, working with bands since mm -hmm. I was a kid, I've noticed every band I've ever worked with, and since then, now as a professional comedian, every band I've ever come to know, sure, is loaded with fucking goofballs. Every band is loaded with goofballs, and uh, and every comedian wishes they could be a rock star. So there's a there's a mutual respect there. There's a mutual desire uh, and a tremendous respect for the other side. Uh, musicians respect that comedians can go on stage without any instruments, without the ability to drown out a crowd. That's not or, into or or relying on band members when things are not going well. Right. It's just you all by yourself, and that's 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 uh, uh, frightening. That is uh, beyond frightening to musicians. And then, um, and for comedians, there's just a coolness factor with being in a band that we, you know, that we love and respect. That um, they're 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 amazing. But I, I I am I think part of my somewhat of an apathy with music is uh, I am very resentful of them because. They could keep playing same songs over and over. They, yes. The audience love it. And comedians, we can't do that. We have to keep re reinventing ourselves because key part for most of the jokes are element of surprise. Yeah. So once they heard the joke, yeah. it, it, unless you're like the Russell Peters, the Gabriel Iglesias of the world, they want to hear the same shit over and over. We, we have to keep doing it. And not to mention many of your van, uh, friends. Yeah. Very, very, could be a nicer groups of people. But they're also with, with the, some some of the hottest women around. You know, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. So like musicians could, for sure. They, they if they write these good songs and, and they, it's very catchy, they don't they never have to work hard to create another music, and they're set. Money and women. Yeah, you know. And when people say like you know women love people who are funny, oh, I wish we could do that. But yeah, you know. I, I've never ever seen shit that comes close to the stuff that I've seen backstage at concerts. I mean, the women that, um, and they could, and it's not necessarily like groupies. I mean, just women, period. If they know they have an opportunity, uh, some of the straightest, most uh, moral women will throw everything out the window sure. for one night for an opportunity to be with someone special in a band. <laughs> and it's fucking crazy. I've seen some fucking weird shit. And I think it's it's warped me on how I view women and it's warped me on my because I've been seeing it since I was 15 right? absolutely and I've been the victim of women using me to get to you know yeah. bands and uh, and uh, 
So uh, are, you, are you getting uh, better at judging the girls? Like when you're younger, like okay, like let me give you an analogy. I've gotten so many hookers. I gotten pretty good. Like I, 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 you know, like you're saying when you do impression Yoda, like strong you are, whatever you feel yeah, yeah. the force. Yeah. I know this hooker will rip me off. I, 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 really? Yeah, I gotten really good at it. I, I'm really good at reading like certain question, the way they dress. I could tell like this one will rip me off. I got really good at it. In fact, sometimes even I'm done fucking a hooker at the uh, Amsterdam or Frankfurt places like that. There'll be times when like certain girl I might have been interested in, but I will wait until a guy walks out and I, I I ask the question. Let me let me guess. This girl ripped you off, right? Like he said, "How did you know?" So I've gotten good at it, but I've been doing that. Why? What was it? What is it about the way a guy walks out that you know he's? Just well, I mean, gonna... I mean, I thought that certain girls like when I talk to them, ask certain question, and there's certain like maybe a. Uh, sexual energy or lack of sexual energy and like obvious ones like if the girl have too much clothes on she's going to be a problem really mm -hmm. because she's 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 more inclined not to have sex that she supposedly promised you and um not to mention one time i caught a girl covering her stomach as soon as we went inside she took her clothes off i guess she gave a birth to a child or something but her stomach i mean this blob of meat just you know hanging Jesus Christ she, she literally had to fold her <laughs> stomach like origami and put it back and put a cloth over it and like I couldn't get hard you know because <sighs> I thought I can't get hard <laughs> I fuck amputee girls and stuff like that but that what one, girls? amputees I, mean, I had a I, oh amputees really? yeah, I had a girl like multiple times like girl missing a leg or both legs or arm or whatever but um, but like yeah just like if they say yes to everything that you want to do with them, chances are she just either just saying it for sake of saying that, or she doesn't speak the language. So like once you pay money, she won't do it. There's, you know what I mean? Like I remember. But you always have to pay up front, right, with a hooker. Um, most of the time, like in Tijuana, uh, there's quite often like you could pay them afterward. Really? So you give incentive to make sure they do everything like they they promise you to do wow. stuff. If you go mix Tijuana, you want to go Alita Club or Hong Kong Club. Those are the two places to go. The Hong Kong Club or the what? Alita Club. Alita Hong Kong Club is more upscale strip club slash brothel. Here's it, my thing. I, mm -hmm. I can't get into prostitutes because um, I just... Well, I mean, you, 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 you look like and you do get girls on your own easily. And uh, I've seen you with a lot of pretty girls, you know. Um, I have, But I have a thing about, uh, like, what turns me on is knowing that a woman is attracted to me like that's the turn on for me that she's into me and that's 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 like half the game i mean if i'm attracted that's to a her, big difference between you and i i it's a, such a turn on to pay them money really yeah i think jim norton feels the same way i've, I've heard jim, jim is the master there's nobody like him yeah. he has a pervert iq of einstein wow yeah and i for me it's it's uh it's also um what must have happened to this woman mm -hmm. to get to the point like how many times has this woman been hit in the head repeatedly by her dad with a brick? Well, some uh, of the hookers, I think, not in enough. Yeah, <laughs> for them to want to take money to have sex with men, I just, um, I just feel, uh, I don't know. I just on both sides of it, I, I just, I feel genuinely creeped out about both sides of prostitution. I just, I can't get into it. It's, I used, I should thought that was a bullshit, but like older I got, like I completely believe it. There's guys just never going to be into it. I, yeah. I, I thought like that's like a normal thing growing up in Japan, but um, yeah, you're right. I mean, I kind of, I, I just like that this, 
mind game that goes on both sides. I know they're trying to rip me off, and she knows that she want to rip me off. And you know, it's just this kind of game, and um, it's 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 it is a fun game because I've, I've got, <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun game. So here's my uh, I've gotten better at meeting women because, uh, and I'm 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 being literal when I say this. I've had relationships that have started yeah. with my opening line being up in the lawn at a concert, walking up and saying, hey, you want to meet Whitesnake? Like, I literally <laughs> yeah, yeah. have started relationships. In fact, that girl who ended up fucking my friend, that's how, that was my first line to her. Hey, would you like to meet Whitesnake? And I, What's so, the percentage of time? It's, it's yes, like 90%? Uh, it's usually 100% of the time. But the problem is... <laughs> That is not a girl you want to have a relationship with. Yeah. It's a girl that you're saying, hey, you want something really cool to happen. And of course the girl's going to say yes. And then I'm going to fall in love with her. And then it's like, but she doesn't give a shit about me. Yeah. She's using me to get to other people. So um, over but, time... But, 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 but to be fair, do you, that doesn't mean... I'm not necessarily saying it's you, but guys who are offering stuff like the women, they don't necessarily like the girl. They just want to get blowjob or fuck them too. Well, I mean, I'm doing it because I'm attracted to the girl, sure. but uh, but there there always has been this element of, uh, you know, uh, for whatever reason, it, romance in it to me. Like I'm attracted to a girl, and I'm really and I just want to do something nice for her. Sure. And then uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, sex essentially happens. But there was always like looking for you know being attracted, like oh man, that girl's so beautiful. I really want to like talk to her. I really want to hang out with her and. Um, you know, but yes, sexual attraction is all part of it. But it was never always about fucking. But fucking just happened all the time. Sure, <laughs> it was like, you know, but that wasn't that was not the goal. But um, uh, but I've and I gotta say, like I've done a bunch of shows with you, and especially the one in San Diego. Man, you bring some amazing looking girls to those rock slash comedy shows that you do. Yeah, you get between five hundred, maybe even eight hundred people to those yeah. rooms. You know. Yeah, and it's... Fourth uh, and B, is that what it was? Yeah, that was Fourth and B. I'm going back again uh, to do another big theater show in San Diego. I think it's going to be like uh, 1,500 to 3,000 seats <laughs> next time. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm doing a whole theater tour, actually, the beginning of 2014, um, doing a theater tour and kind of mix in some club dates. and Sure. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but um, I've learned, uh, you know, it's kind of a tough thing because uh, when I was first starting out doing stand-up, I was still kind of that mindset of saying, hey, I'm a comedian and I do cool things yeah. to meet a girl. And I've found that the more I go along and the more success I find myself having, the less I want to talk about that. Because uh, people, I mean, I was never resentful. Like, that's kind of cool. But people who, for whatever reason, didn't like you. I think they're resentful of that. I love that. I I could not. <laughs> yeah. I that that is one part of me that it's that's kind of a quirk that uh, you know I'm not a mean person and but nothing gives me more of a thrill than to know that people who don't like me are genuinely irritated with anything cool that happens to me. I fucking love that because the one thing that every person in my life has had in common who has hated me is that none of them knew me. None yeah. of them knew me. They uh, knew. They think they knew of you. Right. They didn't know. 
And uh, uh, I don't want to give, um, I don't want to <laughs> say the names because it, it, you know, I don't quite a few. They, they, they don't. I don't want to give them in sort of like airtime, but um, um, it, and it gives them nothing but a thrill to see them uh, angry. Because yeah. first they say like, no, he wasn't in Sex in the City. And then right. I was, I, I, I saw. <laughs> I was watching some show in Europe, and I remember like, "Oh, there's Craig Gass on um, <laughs> on TV." It's yeah. really weird to see friends on TV. Oh over- yeah, overseas, you know. Yeah, and I don't know if you do what I do, but when I see a friend on TV uh, or in a movie, yeah, I over exaggerate my friendship with that person. <laughs> yeah. and I'll go, "Holy shit, that's Yoshi!" The you know that guy, but Yoshi, that guy, you know. Taught me how to meet girls. I don't know. I'll just make up shit. Like, well, you know, but with you, I mean, there's a genuine. I feel a, a very special bond with you, with Josh Wolf, who I don't talk to as often uh, anymore. Um, he's busy with his career, but mostly, I'm sure, with his kids. You know, he's yeah, a lot Joey of Diaz, yeah. uh, Brody, who I really don't talk to uh, only in passing, but um, but guys who I started out with, I feel a very special bond with. You know, that and we that's all one of the things that people don't understand: the bond the comedians have with each other. If, even if I didn't see you like year, which we probably haven't seen in a year, we just back to the same spot a year ago. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, and and there's no. We don't even have to explain anything to each other. Like there's been there's been yeah. times when you or I needed a place to crash. Yeah, you know, and uh, and we rely on each other for that. And it's like, it's uh, in some way, it's 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 a brotherhood and sisterhood. it's a brotherhood. I was yeah. gonna say it felt like you're you are a relative to me. Yeah. I really feel like you're a relative to me. And we we took this risk of coming to Los Angeles at the same time. You sure. came down from Seattle. I came down after my. A couple years after I left Seattle and went to New York and started doing the Howard Stern show, and we ended up in a place together in Los Angeles with me and you and another uh, Seattle comedian, Kyle Cease, and we crashed at the same place in Sherman Oaks for a while. In Sherman Oaks, yep. And um, and because of your connection, I you know the Howard Stern show. Whenever they have a stand-up comedy show, uh, Florentine, those guys, yeah, they're they're not, uh, uh, Richard Christie and all those wonderful people. They they can be uh, kinder. Oh and yeah. Of course, through Jim Norton, I've done stuff with Jim and his fans, and like, yeah, it's 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 really really fun, and um, I I wish I could explain to someone who's not a comic, but you know, we um, maybe maybe it's not as lucrative like uh, rock music, rock band, and women wise, but man, I know for a fact we laugh we laugh a lot, and it's it's really fun. Only one guy that I know in stand up comedy that have like a rock star lifestyle is Russell Peters, because I've been to some of his shows, and there's some unbelievable hot looking girls like yeah. there's no way um <laughs> most stand up have a girls like that showing up you know? i've seen uh and you work with him in uh, oh yeah i've worked with yeah. russell russell's i mean i've never seen i i have learned a lot from russell because he's so laid back yeah and uh and he's so comfortable in who he is and i and i i really i actually i would say i had a, a major adjustment in what i needed to do the last time I worked with Russell because I was like, wow. Was it I, in Hawaii, Pearl Harbor? It was, it was in Hawaii. We did shows uh, in Honolulu and Maui. And I work a lot. I, I like to get on the air and sell tickets and sell sure. tickets and sell tickets. And I remember that his, was... His that, shit is always sold out. Yeah. Well, he wasn't completely sold out um, on the shows, but he had we had full houses. I think Maui might have been sold out and Honolulu might have been... You know what? They, yeah. I mean, it was... If it wasn't full, it was it was pretty full. Mm-hmm. But I my my whole uh, pitch of coming along for the ride on that on those shows was 
hey, I'm going to be in Hawaii anyway. Do you want me to do these shows with you? And I can help you sell tickets. I can, <laughs> right. uh, you know, and I do. I mean, I, I yeah, sell, yeah. you know, 500 to 1,000 tickets on the, on the low side for myself if I go and do stuff. So I can help sell tickets. And, uh, and I would give him reports about like, hey, I did this TV show and this radio show and this radio show. And he would go, all right. <laughs> like he yeah. genuinely didn't care. And I remember thinking like, and he was incredibly generous. He'd put us all up at the Four Seasons everyone he put us all over the four seasons and i was like man i mean, just i just love and envied this idea of just coming to town and not having to work as hard as i'm having to work because your work is already out there and i was like you know what i need to continue to create content that's going to be out there he um he performed at barclay center like a year ago yeah it's a new stadium in i was just there that's where i saw pearl jam a couple nights ago he uh, he was the first comedian to perform at Barclays yeah. Center last year, and it was about around twenty thousand people. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, saw the pictures, man. He he showed me pictures, and it's like, man, it's yeah, it's it's uh, he's one of the guys that changed, uh, gave me a big adjustment. Like fuck, I you know what? I need to start changing my approach. Um, there's a lot of guys along the way that kind of uh, uh, Mitch Hedberg, who I lived with. Uh, um, he was another comedian that I met in Seattle. Who wasn't from? He had big ties to Seattle, but he wasn't from Seattle. But uh, Mitch let me move in with him when I first got to New York, and I watched. He's, the, he's a legendary among stand-up comedy world. I mean, yeah, and, and one and of the kindest person too. One of the most generous people I've ever met, and um, he had one flaw. He was one of the most well put together people I've ever met. In my I just life. saw his wife first time in a while too. Oh really? Yeah. How at, is she? Uh, L.A. Podcast Festival. Oh, she's great. She's uh, Lynn is doing wonderful. You know. I love Lynn. She just did uh, Mark Maron's uh, "What the Fuck" podcast yeah. and finally started talking about it. You know. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, she's wonderful. And uh, Mitch um, uh, had one flaw, and it killed him. And um, that. Uh, uh, is really heartbreaking. I had to stop doing drugs, mm-hmm. um, and it and it just so happened that when I stopped, the first year that I stopped, seven of my friends died. Uh, all comedians, four drug overdoses. Mitch was one of them. Was and, Kelly Moran one of them? Yeah, and three drinking and driving car accidents. Yeah. Kelly Moran, Mitch. Uh, there was um, that was two thousand five. Yeah, two thousand five. Yep, in the and I was just, you know, questioning like, oh man, I was like struggling a little bit, and then people kept dying and and reinforcing like, wow, I'm I'm I think I'm doing the right thing. You know, yeah. I, I'm I'm 44 years old, and I get nervous going to Starbucks ordering those complicated drinks. So when people ask me like if I want to drink in some heart liquor, and they they have all the names and stuff, I I'm still kind of childlike when it comes to that. But one time we went up to Fresno to watch a comedy show. We were doing a comedy show and watching a um, rock show. I don't know what band it was. I, I drove up with you. And, you know, you say, hey, would you like some of this stuff? You ask me. And, like, <laughs> I thought you were joking. And um, <laughs> I just put a, uh, I put sheep all by the head and said, oh, that's okay. Because I didn't even know what you were supposed to do with it, you know. Coke? But, uh, yeah. Well, I didn't want, you know, but um, I, I, I thought, like, 
Oh, I didn't know Craig did that. I mean, I I, I didn't. I had no idea. You know? Oh, I remember that. I totally remember that now. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I was trying to sleep, and you brought some girl, and it was very loud, dude. <laughs> so <laughs> that I didn't care. Yeah. You know, I have something to jerk off to, but um, <laughs> but the coke thing, you know, I I, I recently had a, a couple incidents <laughs> with one of my friends. I don't know how to deal with it because some of my friends have a problem with it. Yeah, and um. I was I, I worry for them and like you know you would think at my age I should know how to deal with it. I re, I really really don't know you know I don't know what to say I don't know how to behave, and everyone told me if a person using drugs make a decision not to get help and do something about it you can't do anything about it. My intellectual side I agree with them hundred percent, but emotionally these are people I care about I, and it's, yeah. it's it's a really hard on me. Hey. And I'm glad you know I knew. I wasn't really concerned you doing it because you still always struck me, even with your difficult childhood, that um, you had a good heart and um, you were able to make a right decision. And you're not a mean person at all. And there's a lot of people, for whatever reason, was treating you really bad. I didn't, I didn't really like it, career-wise. Those mm -hmm. comedians, jealous people. Yeah. But I always thought, I, I, I thought you, you will always make eventually a good decision. So I wasn't worried about it, but. The whole drug thing with the uh, music business stuff, I, I, I don't know what to say because I, I do care a lot of those people that I ended up meeting. Yeah. And I, I, and, uh, I'm, I, I fear for them, you know. That was uh, a lot of the, uh, it's funny. It just Greg Thoreau, though. You know, I yeah. don't know him all, but, you know. Yeah, it's, it's been coming comedian. up a lot lately in the last few months. I keep running across other people who were close to Mitch Hedberg. And uh, we talk about how, you know, in those last, like couple years the stories were coming out and i was like what like and i would call them and i'd kind of dig a little bit like are you okay what's going on and sure see i didn't know mitch that well for me to say anything but yeah. i saw him three months before he passed away i saw him you know what it's kind of fucked up but i did coke with him the last few months before he died mm -hmm. and uh that was something that i uh had a lot of um guilt about uh until i was able to come to a reasonable conclusion that like it wasn't i wasn't making mitch like mitch was doing what he was doing i was just yeah. joining him on that particular night and i, I need to clarify this is something i really believe and one of the one one of the three things that i, I feel very strongly to my core core of my heart and my soul um I don't want anyone to think because you use drug you're a bad person or this is a moral issue. It's absolutely not. has nothing to do with moral issue. Yeah. I believe that it's wrong to make it a legal issue. I really believe this is a health issue. And, uh, and I think quite often young people using drugs because I think they might be even dealing with a mental illness and they're trying to self-medicate. And then it's, 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 uh, it's a wrong approach to punish these people when they need our sympathy and help. And I hate this fucking drug war. I absolutely hate drug war. I'm a 100% proponent of legalizing everything. Not this sissy shit about just legalized marijuana. If you're a moral person, everything must be legalized because if you don't, you have this scenario in like in Mexico. Jesus mm. Christ, it's hell on earth. I've been to Afghanistan twice in the last 14 months. Even people in Afghanistan are telling me, all seriousness, what they see, hear and see in Mexico is far worse than Afghanistan because mm. in Afghanistan, the Taliban will say, we're fighting for our religion, we're fighting for our land. American troops and foreign troops will say, we're fighting for uh, freedom, liberty, and women's rights. At least both sides in Afghanistan will say, 
they're doing it because they believe in something. In what's going on in Mexico? They don't believe in anything. They're doing it for sake of killing. Yeah, it's it's, it's a in greed. Agreed. It's just absolutely shameful what's going on. And the only way you could end something like that is legalize absolutely without a question, hundred percent uh, legalized drugs and um, shameful both Republican Democrats. I really hate both of them when it comes to the drug policy. You said that's one of the three things you believe in. What are the other two? Uh, another one is uh, there should should be um, a regulation in Wall Street because um, what's going on is equally evil um, with 2008 because when the economy go down the toilet, all the social evil is trickled down. Like Whenever unemployment go up, child abuse go up, you know, the fathers or stepfathers losing job, their home, they're not in a good mood, drunk, abuses go up, and uh, a lot of social ill, lack of funding for charities and uh, program to help the poor. And, yeah, uh, and it becomes more about getting that extra buck. And these motherfuckers in Wall Street is absolutely evil. And uh, I, uh, I say, if you're going to use drones in Pakistan and Afghanistan, use the drones in Wall Street and kill these guys mm. because what they're doing is absolutely evil and they have so much incentive to break, keep breaking the law because if they if they take a huge risk and they make the right decision they reap the benefit they take the huge risk and they fuck up everyone they make everyone else pay for it yeah you know they they claim that they want free market but when they make a bad decision they want government to bail them out right so it's um um I, I, I absolutely fucking hate those guys. So that's two. What's three? I'm not at some... I mean, you know, I worked in the porno business for a long time, so it sounds funny, but um, we should have a progressive issue uh, policy for women, and not because I'm some bleeding heart, but I've been to Afghanistan multiple times, and if you treat women better uh, regarding free, uh, their, decision, their decision to make who they want to get married, you provide them as much of education and uh, uh, healthcare and things like that, we will have a better world simply because when women are taking, uh, taken care of, it's easier for them to pass progressive ideas to their kids, especially their sons, because in Afghanistan, places like that, boys are, when they reach certain age, they're separated from girls, so they don't know how to interact with girls. Wow. They copy what their older brothers, cousin, dad, uncles, and grandpa, which is, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many times you hear a story, even women just looking at uh, uh, a man who are not a member of her family will be beaten or stoned to death. And I have a friend, Kimberly Motley, uh, American from Wisconsin, uh, half uh, African-American, half Korean. She's promoting human rights by practicing law there. And uh, she's incredibly brave. I went to a polycharchy prison in Afghanistan and uh, wow. over 25,000 people executed there. And uh, um, she's very brave. And, um, you know, um, I'm, 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 I have so many interests outside of comedy. That's the weird thing. Like, I, I love reading stuff and going overseas and looking at uh, things uh, that are important issues outside of comedy. Yeah. Even though I love comedy and stuff, you know. Um, but those those three are the big ones, and I think um, world would be a better place if we if we we worked on it. And isn't it sad? As much as much as I love football, if Americans spend if Americans spend uh, amount of time they spend on fantasy football and some of the world's problems, we will find uh, many cures because it's unbelievable how much obsessed we are of football in this country. And I love fucking football. I believe I believe well, I love it. But uh, I, I wish I wish. You know, I'm I'm glad my friends when they travel overseas because they they get to see the side of the world that they don't 
they don't see and, and you shouldn't rely everything on news because Russell Peters, one of the guys, it's true. We only see the negative side of Middle East, but believe it or not, there's people af- a- actually a decent people in Middle East. Hmm. You know, not all of them are terrorists, and um, that's something that I'm, maybe the fourth one's like I want more people to travel overseas. You know, it's uh, football is really it's a tribal thing. It gives people a sense of belonging to something, sure. and it's uh, my tribe against your tribe against all the other tribes, sure. and and so there's something very uh, you know gets to the root of of uh, the human condition there. But um, everything else you said was spot on, especially. About drugs, and it's pretty interesting from somebody uh, like yourself who's never done drugs. I mean, I've um, done I've done some. I'm not gonna lie to you. I, yeah. I, I tried coke once, uh, <laughs> LSD, uh, weed, and yeah. um, because when I got a car accident, I, I, I got kind of hooked on painkillers for a couple of years, but mm-hmm. um, um, I don't use them anymore. That's a fear of mine is that I end up in some kind of pain where I need to take painkillers, and then I might it might trigger that to me, me is most seductive because that's what uh, I've heard because. Government and uh, pharmaceutical companies promoting that it's legal. Yeah. Well, for me, it's uh, you know drugs uh, or just something that just got to a point where uh, I I lost uh, an ability to be happy, and mm-hmm. uh, that's something that all people who are addicted to drugs are uh, can relate to is that you lose a sense of happiness and a, and like what happened like i used to be able to be happy sure. and i never needed drugs before and um uh so uh, I, I have to say it's very seductive and i understand i'm not i'm not a i'm 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 not a without faults but like you know i have friends I'm, I'm last couple of years friends. I'm not going to say what part of California, but I have friends who uh, who grow marijuana. And times when I see them, they'll give me decent amount of marijuana for free. Yeah. And I've had I've been in a situation where really young girls, you know, hanging out with them. Some of them porno girls, and you know, all of a sudden, next thing you know, it because of the weed, I'm getting blowjobs and stuff like that. Really. And you know. I, it's hard to how it's hard to uh, refuse something like that. A man of, you know, early to mid forties, and you have a twenty year old girl doing that, like, and it's not like I forced her. It's like I would have yeah. just given it to her for anyway, but like yeah. I'm not going to refuse something like that. Right. So believe me, I'm not a without problems and faults. You know, yeah. I'm just conflicted about it, and I'm weak. I'm very, very weak when it comes to stuff like that. So that's um, funny. Now I'm back to thinking about how abused that girl must be to blow somebody for weed. Yeah, you know? but yeah, I, uh, it's funny. It's um, uh, for me, it was uh, it was always about harder drugs. I mean, coke was just it for me. But um, yeah, man, I uh, I I just love connecting with you, man. It's it's just I love we being some honest conversation. Yeah, and and. In the 20 years now that I've been doing stand-up comedy, the thing I value the most, I, above anything else, um, and I've gotten to a point now where you know I'm able to uh, thankfully be able to pay my bills and pay my mom's bills, sure. and uh, and I've been doing that for a while, and um, but just conversations that I've had with you. And countless other comedians, sure. thousands and thousands of hours late into the night about every aspect of stand-up comedy, every aspect of comedians we loved and didn't love, every aspect of 
Um, Even conversation like when you hear when you, we see a guy like David Tell, who's one of the greatest stand up. After the show, we'll go on like Jerry's Daily or something. We're eating like we just marvel like, damn, did you like that joke? You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. You know, that's not something that we, you do with the civilians who are not comedians. I'm like, yeah. I love that conversation. I, I, I really love the conversation I had with you. And Courtney Cronin, I haven't seen for a long time, but that's one of our good friends from when we moved first to California. Yeah, yeah. Very t- talented actress, comedians and writer. And I'm actually bringing her with me next week to perform with Kiss. Okay, cool. Tell her <laughs> I'm hi. performing with Kiss on the Kiss Cruise. So I uh, I I, uh, I love it, and uh, you know, there's times I don't see some some people, but when I do, it's 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 a good time all the time with comedians, and this is something that I, I it's very unique. In, in our I feel religion. so lucky. Uh, my life, uh, because I chose this path, has turned out. Uh, it's been an embarrassment of riches of uh, stories and experiences that I've had, mm-hmm. um, and thank God uh, these people who I respect and admire. Uh, I am in a position uh, to have a conversation with them that they want to know about what I do for a living because everybody loves being around a comedian. Everybody loves comedians. Everybody loves, you know, and I'm a social person as opposed to most comedians. I think most comedians are antisocial. I love people and I love talking to people. And how fun is it? Like, uh, I know you met Colin Quinn when way before me, but the yeah. fact that one, eventually, like, there was a time when he talked to me first name basis and we were kind of talking. Yeah. I fucking love it, man. And I love talking to Tell. Like, these people I always look up to, but it's yeah. funny, like, wow, they're actually, they're actually kind of talking to me, you know? And yeah. Jim Norton's of the world and um, Russell Peters and, and all our other comedians. Like, even I miss Mitch tremendously. Yeah, me too. I wish nothing but the best for uh, Lynn. And his wife and uh, I, I really, I really, really miss him because he was and his dad, uh, Arnie. genuinely, yeah. genuinely wonderful people. Yeah, and um, I, I wish more people know about him. You know, um, yeah, I think over time more and more stories will be told. And um, he was, uh, it's kind of crazy to uh, after he passed to have so many people like his his fame continue to grow after he died. It, that's kind of surreal. It's very and, surreal to have somebody come up and, and talk to you about somebody who you know and were friends with. Like sure. his, his fame grew after my friendship with him, and that, that's kind of strange to me. Yeah, and and you know, it's at the point where when people find you actually knew Mitch, like yeah, that's yeah. surprising to people, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know how in um, this is true for any sports, let's say NFL football, when you have a coaching tree, like you have Bill Parcell, one of the greatest coach. Yep. And underneath the coaching tree, you have guys like Coughlin and Bill Belichick and people like that. When I think about Mitch Hipburg, the, the tree, there's so many comics. I don't have. To, I don't need to name names, but you could tell the influence that he had on other comedians. Tremendous. Oh, we can name names. <laughs> <laughs> Just the mannerism and the joke, and uh, uh, it bums me out. It, actually, there's one guy that everybody knows. It, it's just a fucking bummer where you go like, oh, I've never felt. That's actually one time I've actually felt offended is watching one guy in particular over and over again that I just mm-hmm. go like, come on, man. And I had yeah. a conversation with Linda about that, and uh, she knows. She, she, she's not dumb. You yeah. Know? yeah. And um, I, I hope she uh, ended up writing a book or a movie or TV show, something about, uh, because the, he really was the, one of the Mount Rushmore stand-up comedy, and more people should know about him, you know? Yeah, a lot of people do know about him, and, and what's what I hear a lot of now, and it's shocking to me, is how many people go, uh, oh, man, I just discovered him. I didn't know that he's dead. Yeah. And that's crazy to me that people are still, in in large numbers, are still discovering his stand-up comedy. And then 
go to Google where he's performing and don't know that he's been gone. And that's that's crazy to me. I mean, I'm fuck how much uh, he could have done. Uh, well, I mean, what a body of work he could have put up. I know, you know. Uh, I I sometimes wonder if he had access to Twitter, what he could have done. Yeah. He would have been perfect. He would have probably had two, three, four million followers because yep. his one liner just it's like poetry, you know. Yeah. Another guy, I'm very sad to see him pass in a way, is Patrice O'Neill, even though I'm very sad because last time I saw him, we got a big argument, and that was my last... I think uh, you told me about that. Yeah. But he's one of the greatest, not greatest black comedian. He was one of the greatest comedian, period. And uh, Greg Drodos, and, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, many comedians that, uh, you know, even the ones I didn't know, it, it really get to me because they're comedians, you know. I think, I think porno people, too, People are her friends of mine, you know, because it's a lot of a lot of the comedians and a lot of the porn people. It's an exactly same kind of job, but there's something broken in us, hmm. and uh, maybe we're trying to do porn or stand-up comedy performance to correct whatever that thing is broken within us, you know. Except a guy like Russell Peter, I think he comes from a very happy family. Yeah, and I've always uh, thought that my source of comedy comes from a happy place too I mean I know that people look at like wow it must have been tough growing up in a deaf family but you don't really I mean there's nothing tough about it it's like the way you grow up is the way you grow up you don't think of it as like a challenge and it's like I mean uh, we communicated with each other it's, I learned sign language it was like can you you know I know you have to go so maybe maybe 10 more minutes or whatever sure talk a little about your family because it's an amazing story um when I met you, Craig, my first impression was like you were like Tarzan, because <laughs> you know the Tarzan going to jungle and he just mimic animal voices like perfectly. <laughs> wow, that I've never even thought I, about I, because that. that well, I told, I think I you told because um, I, I, when I met you first, I didn't, couldn't remember your name for some reason. But I told, I think either my mom or uh, my brother, I said like, I this guy is like Tarzan, you know, <laughs> and like this is like what? My mom got confused like what? Are, she was confused, like, Tarzan's doing comedy? I don't know. She she didn't get it. But you know how Tarzan books, they can mimic animal sounds, like even a fool the animals, you know? Wow. So, so here, here you are mimicking people's voice. Like Russell Peters mimic uh, imp, uh, uh, impression of people. Yeah, But like no one in specific. He, he does impression of in group as a general. Right. You do specific individual that it's no confusion to listener. Like, right. In uh, fact, uh, there was a period of time when I was on the Howard Stern show when I was auditioning for the job. I um, I would start doing all these. Uh, I just felt comfortable. Can, just, I, can I sorry clarify for those of you listening overseas? Howard Stern is one of the biggest radio personality. He had a huge influence in the shock jock, and at the time, J- Jackie was leaving. Uh, his his comedic sidekick was a guy named Jackie Martling. Jackie the Joke Man Martling. And Jackie... Left. Quit. He quit the show. And they asked me to come in the next day. And I actually kept putting it off and putting it off because I was afraid. Because this mm-hmm. crowd's very, very uh, judgmental. Yeah. And and, uh, and I just... I, I get it. Like, I, I didn't like the idea of saying, like, he was going to tell his audience, like, okay, mom is dead. Uh, but here's my new girlfriend. Like, yeah, yeah. So you're the, 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 the new mom. Yeah, I was going to yeah. be the new... but. And and even even agreeing to come in like a week or two later, I still didn't feel comfortable uh, coming in as myself. Hey, here's a guy who does voices. I said I'd rather just hide in the background and then chime in as different celebrities just saying awful shit. 
And I would just say awful things. As and and the listeners need to know, literally about 20 million people are listening to each episode back then. Yeah, I had no idea how, how big of a deal it was. I mean, I, it was fascinating to me that my name was on the internet. And sure. I could see like um, uh, groups, discussion threads about, you know, my participation in the show. And um, so, and the other thing is everyone I'm doing an impression of is hearing it. And so... I had this impression of Gene Simmons from Kiss, and the impression wasn't very funny. I mean, it sounded like Gene, but it wasn't funny until I came up with an idea, which was how funny would it be if every time we had a music guest in the studio, I will constantly interrupt them as Gene Simmons and try to sell them shitty Kiss products. Okay. Like, like uh, uh, whoever, Jay-Z, uh, Paul McCartney, uh, whoever comes in the studio, I will just tell them that if it wasn't for Kiss, there'd be no... Beatles. <laughs> like, <laughs> I would jump in and I, I would say, uh, like if, if it was Paul McCartney, I'd jump in and go, all right, I'm going to stop you right there. By the way, this is Gene Simmons from KISS. And if you go to kissonline.com right now, you will see how the Beatles stole everything from KISS. And a guy like Paul McCartney would look at me and go, who the fuck are you? And I go, I'll tell you who I am. <laughs> How many members were in the Beatles? Four, right? Right. How many members were in KISS? Four. Thank you. Go to KISSonline.com. It didn't make any sense. It was just an <laughs> asshole to people. And the crazy thing was, and we didn't know this at the time, the real Gene Simmons started getting hate mail for the stuff that I was doing. Like, people started getting so angry at Gene, they really thought that Gene was doing That was, like, the first time I realized, like, the you power know, of radio. The power of uh, of doing impressions and hiding behind those voices and like, and we didn't even know that Gene was out there getting mad. He, once somebody told him uh, what was going on. There's a comedian named Craig Gass. He does an impression of you, and he's an asshole. Gene got on a plane, flew to New York, and confronted me live on the air, and that turned into this awkward moment of like, fuck, is this guy gonna kill me? And um, he was actually had a good sense of humor. And um, and was very playful. And then uh, the next day, our producer, Gary Delavate, came in and said, Hey, guys, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> I, okay, so I just got off the phone with uh, this fucking... I just got off the phone with the KISS headquarters. Which, by the way, that sentence should have been... Hey, guys, by the way, that's a dead-on impression of Gary, too. Gary yeah. Delavate, that, that line, you're not going to believe this. Uh, I just got off the phone with the uh, KISS headquarters. The, the, there should have been the line, uh, Hey, guys, you're not going to believe this. There's a kid's headquarters. Like, that should have been the line. Like, there's some fucking Legion of Doom where, like, you know, these uh, superheroes hang out at. And he said, hey, you're not going to believe it. So I just got on the phone with the kid's headquarters. And apparently, fucking Gene Simmons wants to come back again. And he wants to come back. He has a request. He says, I don't want to be there when Craig Gass is around. That's fucking funny. And I was like, you know, I just thought, I can't believe that Gene knows who I am. And I actually came up with an idea that really was... Uh, really ballsy which was gene simmons showed up on a day that i wasn't supposed to be there and i hid in a room down the hall and we bought a three thousand dollar kiss outfit we hired a makeup guy and yeah. i dressed up like gene simmons in full makeup and costume <laughs> yeah and i walked in the middle of his interview and i said i'm the real gene simmons and you are an imposter and i can prove it because i got a bunch of cheap shit i want to sell you and I had a bag full of shit that I had written uh, Kiss logos on. I had a fucking uh, 
New Kids on the Block lunchbox, and I took out a marker and I wrote "kiss" and I tried to sell it to him for fifty bucks, and um, and he came up to me after the show and said, "You know what you just did? Took a lot of balls. You know that, right?" And I said, "Yeah, you're not going to hit me, are you?" And he goes. <laughs> I admire that. And then he walked out of the room and I was like, all right. So A lot of people say he's a dick, but three times I met him, he was very nice. You know? I don't think I, there's... Um, he's a very good business person. We live in a world today yeah. where it's, uh, it's not cool to have confidence and it's not cool to uh, say, I am good at what I do. And, uh, and that's Gene's attitude. I don't think there's anything wrong with Gene. In fact, I, I think um, there are some parts of Gene's um, uh, way of thinking that I used to think wasn't cool that I now with some life experience I realize wow that is a really great what's that um, you know what's funny he shares something in common with you you used to tell me I never thought about this and, and I thought wow uh, I was so grateful every time you would say something like this you used to tell me all the time uh, Craig people don't know how lucky they are to live in America. You literally can do anything as long as you work hard enough for it. And people are not aware of that in America. It blows my mind that... Uh, because Gene was born in Israel. Yep, he was born in Israel. And I know he got picked on as a kid. Okay. And uh, he... Um, a couple of advice he gave, like, you know, for high school graduates, he had actually had advice for them. And I think a couple of them in the Rolling Stone magazine was, read as much as you can, work really hard, but another thing he said was he was very um, uh, uh, ahead of time. He he said the importance of learning about China and, and, and Mandarin Chinese. Yeah, and he has, he has a, he definitely have a strong foreign policy. I mean, you you would think that, but yeah, he's a pro America guy. Oh yeah, and I, he, I love the guy. I heard him say once in an interview, every man, woman, and child in America should work uh, every day. Uh, as hard as you can every day and make as much money as you can until you're 50 years old and then just enjoy your life mm -hmm. and just build as much money as you can and then enjoy your life. And I was like, wow, you know what? I I get what he's saying there. And a work ethic is something that has slipped off the radar <laughs> for America. You know, it's uh, that is not, you know, something that is uh, that people take pride in in America and it's in fact it's uh, it's kind of like a laughed at thing where it's like hey we're trying to get away with as much as you can and, and just just do as uh, enough to get by is the American ethic. I think a lot of people were envious of Gene Simmons because you see him with those hot women you know, that's one of my impression of him yeah. as a young, young boy but um, number one thing for him my impression always was work work really hard and uh, coming from Israel and having, you know, getting picked on as a kid, I don't think he never took that for granted, this country granted. And he's, he's a, I, I really respect for the thing. When he was, when he's been serious and gave those advice, I, I thought like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of this guy. And I'm not a music person, but even as a kid, I thought, that I just thought it was cool with all the makeup and stuff. And like my close friends, like uh, Russell Peters, Jim Norton, and you, you guys love Kiss. You know, that showmanship and oh, like yeah. our work, you know, they're, they're I, th I think they're incredible. And he said, 
I think he, he even said something like, oh, he doesn't give a fuck about critic what they think about it. Yeah. He said people vote with their with their money. Absolutely. And, and they're, they, they're winners, man. Post yeah. Stanley and all those guys. I will never forget an amazing uh, quote from Gene Simmons. There was a magazine back in the day called Metal Edge Magazine. This was like a, a hard rock magazine mm-hmm. that um, in the back <clears throat> of the magazine, they would do articles, they do interviews. Um, and then at the back of the magazine, there was just a question of the month. Yeah. where they would just ask all these rock stars uh, what you would do. And this is what the question of the month. The question of the month in this one issue was, if you hit the lottery, what would you do with the money? And sure. all of these rock stars answered, like, if I hit the lottery, I would get, you know, it was all these crazy, uh, wild fantasies, you know. Gene Simmons, if you hit the lottery, what would you do all the money? His response, very brief, Already hit it, already spent it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking awesome. And I, I admire the guy. I really, truly admire the guy. Especially, and this is something that, that, you, that cannot be said enough. I am a guy who drew some kind of attention mm-hmm. to Gene for being uh, a guy who will sell anything, whatever. It was very tongue-in-cheek. And Gene showed up. And had a tremendous sense of humor about himself. Sure. And holy shit, does that make somebody likable? Like when, um, and I'm not comparing these two at all, uh, but another musician, Millie Vanilli, used to be very disliked because they got a Grammy and they didn't, it comes out, turns out they didn't sing at all in their albums. Mm. But then when Millie Vanilli made a Pepsi commercial, whatever the commercial was, where they were singing at a concert and the tape stopped, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, what do we do? Like that made them so much more endearing to kind of embrace uh, this side of them, and you know, listen, I, I think it's, it's always it's always great to admit one's fault, yeah, and don't and, lie about it, yeah. and to embrace it, but to absolutely embrace it. So, um, so I say, ah, oh, man, I mean, I just, I really, I just fucking respect the guy for having a great sense of humor about himself. And I gotta I say, him. you're you're really are Mr. Kiss because. Yeah. Uh, you know that impression of you know Paul Stanley and yeah. your connection, and I, I love those pictures. Whenever you dress up as members of Kiss, oh yeah, it's perfect, man. Yeah. I mean, if if there's fifth Beatle, there must be fifth <laughs> Kiss, and you really are the fifth one. You really are. Yeah. Um, let's let's finish by saying incredible sort of appearance because, like you were saying, oh, oh, your mother was born death. Completely deaf. Death. But something happened to your dad. My dad was born with all of his hearing. Yes. Then he lost over 75, 80% of his hearing when he was a kid. He got into an accident that popped out his eardrums. So he had to go to deaf schools. But was, was it electrocuted? No, no. He was in an accident. And the pressure from this, it was a car accident. Oh, I didn't the, know that. The, the implosion on the inside of the car made him pop out his eardrums uh, from this collision. So he had to go to deaf schools for the rest of his life where he met my mom at an all-deaf high school. They fell in love, got married. They had my sister first, and she was born with my mom's genes, completely deaf. Mm-hmm. And then I was born with, with my dad's genes with all my hearing. So I'm the only one in the family who can hear. And then I learned how to talk by copying all the way. I knew, so do you I, know the sign language then? Yeah, I know sign language. And... Um, and, you know, I had some unusual experiences, you know. And when they got divorced, I was like four years old. My mom used me as her interpreter for the divorce. Mm-hmm. Like, I never went to court with her. But, 
she would have me call the lawyers. I was like four years old. And, and uh, deaf people now have something called a relay service where they can call an operator using their teletypewriter and the operator can reach the outside world and vice versa. Um, and before well, that... Uh, Jesus she, Christ, there's a lot of material right there. Yeah. <laughs> and before that, she had somebody in the house who could hear. So mm -hmm. she was like, I need you to make some phone calls for me. And I would call the lawyers. I'm four years old getting a huge vocabulary lesson you know plus my mom is standing on something, top of something, me something something yeah. Sucker, yeah, something cocksucker yeah. something something motherfuckers yeah, and, and my mom is standing on top of me going tell him your father's a son of a bitch and I was like <laughs> you got it mom I'll tell him fuck that guy and uh, so yeah so it led to some really interesting you know moments but uh, holy shit uh, for me um, I went so long without making any money uh, nothing for I, I think it was like seven years I barely I, I make like a couple hundred bucks here and there um, but for seven years I made no money and uh, and I would have continued to make no money I'd, I'd, I'd be happy for the experiences that I have and your friendship is one of those things that makes that whole thing uh, complete for me man I'm just I'm grateful for our friendship I'm grateful for the uh, things we got to experience together and I'm grateful that you and I are still out there pushing and doing whatever the fuck it is that we're trying to do out there in the world. I don't, just, I don't know Josh Wolf that well, but he's very friendly. I only saw him a little bit in Seattle, but I have to say you, Tana Manu, uh, Brody Stevens, Joey Diaz, uh, Mitch Hepburn, Kelly Moran, uh, rest in peace, he passed away, uh, Floyd J. Phillips, mm -hmm. uh, Harold Gomez, Tyrone Barnett, yep. um, you know Tony Daniels, Travis Simmons, all those guys, I'm, I'm, and Hennigan. Dwayne Go, Tracy Tops, and a bunch of other people from Seattle. You know, it's 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 very sad sometimes for me going up to Seattle because I, I don't recognize ninety percent of comedians. Yeah, same here. Think things have changed, but uh, when, but better than I'm sorry to interrupt you, but better than all of uh, all of those guys, uh, the the leader, the 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 absolute heart and soul of the stand-up comedy scene is Carl Warmanhoven. Yes. Without question. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But no, no, Carl is there because I, I also interview him, but we we have so much love for him because he is genuinely hundred percent guarantee he do it because he loved it he doesn't care about the money he really doesn't and uh he he really was like the phil jackson comedy up there because he really took everyone under his wing and like expressed the love for comedy and even if you do a joke that then get laughed if it's interesting premise he will let you know he will work with you and uh, uh when i interview him he had a, this notebook. It's um, amazing. Somebody, I wish somebody would make a scan of it, but it's the list of 20 to 25 years of open mic with all the names. All the every names. Week. He has it, every one of them. That year, every, from the day one he was in charge of Comedy yeah. Underground Seattle, uh. open mic, he has a list of everyone that, who's ever performed under. Uh, he under, read that at his retirement party. He read some of the notable days when yeah. some of us made our debuts, and he would read who was on the list that night. And... Uh, uh, one of my favorite all-time stories. Maybe this would be a good way to end. And I have to warn everybody at home listening to this. This is the part where Yoshi's going to get uncomfortable because it's going to involve my Yoshi impression. Oh, and uh, yeah, and I know this is uh, so. Get ready before you do it. And by the I, way, I, I have to hear from everyone. <laughs> hey, Craig was doing this in Cincinnati. Hey, Craig was doing this in Miami. None of those people know who the fuck, fuck I yeah. am. But yeah, go ahead. And by the way, when this uh, when this podcast is a posthumous tribute to Craig Gass, it's going to be because I just did the Yoshi impression in front of Yoshi, and he killed me afterwards. <laughs> so here's the uh, and it's one of my favorite stories. Uh, Carl 
uh, who uh, really made everyone believe in themselves. And I think everyone who... Oh, I think I know this story already. Go ahead. Who left, um, left because they had the confidence that Carl had put into them. I know I can absolutely say for me that I had my belief because, uh, you know, Carl made me believe in myself and he was always really supportive. And I, I, I would come to find out that, you know... There is no other Carls in the world. Carl no. was the only... Like, I thought every comedy club had a guy like Carl, no. and I just realized he was a one in a million. And so, before I left Seattle, <laughs> late at night, it's 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm watching public access TV, and a documentary came on TV. This is, I want to say this is like 96, 97. At this point, I'm doing comedy three, four years. You see three people. And, uh, and uh, I see a documentary about... The stand-up comedy scene in Seattle from 1988, 89, something like that. And it's got some of these guys that we know. Carl, Ron Reed, uh, Laura Crocker, uh, who is Ron's wife. Uh, Rodney, she passed away. She passed away, yeah. yep. Uh, Rodney uh, Sherwood. Sherwood is on it. Rodney, he's only been doing comedy for a few months. And a bunch of guys I've never heard of. And uh, I'm I'm riveted. I was actually tired when it started, but yeah. I was like, I got to watch this whole thing all the way through. And I report back to Yoshi this story. I was like, we started talking about how much we love Carl. And I go, Yoshi, oh, my God, I saw this documentary. And at the end of the documentary, they ask everyone, where do you see yourself in 20 years? And Rodney, Rodney Sherwood, who's this amazing comedian. Hilarious. And this is 1988 when Rodney answers the question by saying... I'm going to be on uh, must-see TV after Cosby because the Cosby show was on at the time. He said, in 20 years, I'm going to have my own show on NBC following the Cosby show or something like that. Uh, Laura Crocker. Uh, to give people an idea, the, the comedy on Thursday was massive. It right, was it was massive. Yeah. It was massive back then. So this is like a, a, a moment in time. Um, uh, Laura Crocker, oh, I'm going to be – she was a manager – I'm going to have the biggest uh, management, uh, Ron Reed, same thing. And then they go to Carl, and they say, Carl, where do you see yourself in 20 years? And he genuinely thinks about the question and gets excited and gets this look on his face, an upbeat look where he goes, oh, wow. Um, oh, boy, uh, 20 years. Oh, you know you know what I would love? Um, oh, boy, I, I would... Oh, I would just love to. Um, I'd love to have a a, a home, uh, like a comedy club, that could be a home for comedians, where all comedians could come to and just uh, not have any outside influence, but can just uh, feel the the um, protected enough to create whatever they want to do and, and discover their voice. And, and, and be as creative as they want to be and, and just a place where comedians can do whatever they want to, to find themselves. Uh, yeah, that would just be neat to just have a place where comedians could find a home and, and, and just feel free to explore themselves creatively. And I was like, what the fuck? And I tell that story to Yoshi. And Yoshi's looking at me and, he's, and Yoshi starts shaking his head and he goes, yeah, you know, it's funny... I was just at an open mic one night and um, fucking, you know that one comedian, and I'm not going to say the comedian's name, but let's just say the comedian's name was uh, Steve uh, 
Flesher. We'll just say Steve yeah. Flesher, right? To be nice. To be nice. Um, and you know that fucking guy, Steve Flesher? He's like the most awful. Yeah, that fucking guy. He was on stage and and it was it was it was bad, Craig. It was very bad. And when he came off stage, Carl said, "Steve, you just need to work on your material. Like, just keep coming back." And Craig. We're talking about fucking Steve Flesher. <laughs> like, like Yoshi. Even really, Jesus Christ, they get the fuck out of here. I'm funny, motherfucker. Like, Yoshi, it, Yoshi was not trying to be mean about this particular comedian, but Yoshi was just saying, for God's sake, even the guy that we all know just doesn't get it, was, was getting compliments and support from Carl. And uh, he meant it too. I'm not. Oh kidding. yeah, he meant it. Yeah. Uh, you know what? What makes this uh, thing that you just said? It's so hilarious. Uh, it's. I know you do dead on the impression of me, but why you have to squint your eye like an Asian person? Because they can't see you. You were squinting the whole time. That's. Hey, did, did, did that help? That, yeah. Well, I when I whenever I do an impression, I always think of the person. I don't think of the voice. I think of the person. No, and it's great because you 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 literally transform yourself into that person. Body movement and stuff. Well, you do this thing where you you kind of get disgusted. You almost get like a disgusted look in your face. Where you go yeah. mm, like you know it's it's like I think of the person. Like Adam Sandler is always uh you know he looks you in the eye and uh, uh <laughs> you know. He's very fun. You know, uh, or uh, or Tom Arnold uh, is very intense and uh, looks you right in the face. And uh, I love fat women and cocaine. And uh, you know, and he sweats a lot. Or uh, it's amazing. Yo, yo body language yeah match with the voice yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think of the person i don't think of the voice i think of the person and is that and, right yeah i always think of the, ver- the of the person not the voice and that's you know your whole tarzan thing that really uh that really struck a chord with me can you do yoda for everyone i, I know we have to end in a few yeah. minutes but but let people feel the, the the talent of craig gas right here true you must be mm. listen every day you must yes yes Yoshi is strong. He is. Observations are strong. Sometimes demeaning. Hmm? Yes. <laughs> Tracy. Sorry, Tracy Morgan. Yeah. That's crazy. I love this dude. He's crazy. <laughs> I love this dude. And my favorite story about Tracy Morgan is uh, a party that he described to me where an orgy broke out. And I said, was there an orgy? And he was like, man, when you open the door to my apartment, it's just buttholes and toes. <laughs> I was like, what? Buttholes and toes? And he goes, yeah, some of them toes were in the buttholes. And I was like, wow, that's fucking awesome. I want to I wanna interview you again, but I, I know you have to go. But let's finish the thing with, well, first of all, Craig, thank you very much. I'm, 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 uh, I'm really happy you're doing this because um, it's really important for me to leave something behind. And, and interviewing Tana, interviewing uh, Carl, interviewing you. I, I just want peop- more people to know you guys because I think you guys should be bigger. You should have a bigger profile because you, you guys are talented and you guys make me laugh. But um, uh, CraigGas.com for your album. No, GetGas.com. Uh, GetGas, I'm sorry. Uh, GetGas, G-E-T-G-A-S-S.com. And uh, next time I want to talk more about uh, – next time we will talk about Seattle sports and things like that because sure. I'll, I'll be back uh, day before Super Bowl and I hope – when I do come back, I, I hope to, uh, I'm not religious, but I hope that um, 
Seahawks in the Super Bowl. That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, I'm planning on it. I'm actually filming a bunch of Seahawks stuff that's going to be coming out in the weeks uh, going towards the end of the season and into the playoffs. And I'm already uh, booked to do a show. In, I always perform in the Super Bowl city every year. And, and, and the, the next one will be in New York City, right? It will be in New York. And, MetLife uh, Stadium. MetLife right. Stadium. And I'm going to be... Uh, so I'm going to be out there. I never go to the game. I always do a show in Super Bowl City. I've only gone to the Super Bowl once, and that's when the Seahawks were in it in 2005, 2006, whenever that was. When they played Pittsburgh in Detroit. In Detroit. Yeah. So uh, Travesty. Terrible officiating. Yeah, it was. And uh, the only uh, professional championship game where the refs actually apologized. apologized. And said, uh, I live with that every day for fucking that up. Yeah. Ben Roethlisberger, who is uh, the quarterback for Pittsburgh, when he was in Letterman show, he even said, like, it wasn't touchdown, but they gave it to us. I took it. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. I, I'm paraphrasing, but wow. at least he was honest enough. Um, so I want to finish. Uh, uh, every, I want everyone to check his uh, stuff. Um, Sex in the City, Howard Stern Show, numerous amount of TV and movies. But I want to end this by, I want to hear the story about Gene Simmons was trying to get a one studio. Uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, he was having problem. Yeah, here's angry. The, here, yeah, yeah. Here's the here's the story. So, um, <laughs> almost everyone I do an impression of has tried to meet me, and uh, and people who know the person that I do impressions of will tell me stories about them. No one uh, has uh, generated more stories than Gene Simmons. Gene has been around the world. He knows so many people, and everyone is always trying to get to me to say, sure. I got a story for you. So this guy said to me, uh, a friend of mine was recording an album in a recording studio, and he said, hey, um, the guy who owns this studio uh, loves you and loves all your impressions. Do you mind if I put him on the phone? And I said, yeah, put him on the phone. So the guy gets on the phone, and he goes, hey, man, I love all your voices, um, especially your Gene Simmons because Gene Simmons was the first guy to ever screw me over in the entertainment business. And he tells me the story of what happened and said, maybe you can use this. Gene came to my studio. He was producing a band and he was going to use my recording studio. At the last minute, Gene uh, tried to switch into my largest recording space for the same amount of money. And when he showed up, he said to me, did you get my message? I want to go to Studio A. Did you get my message? And I said to him, uh, yeah, I did. And I actually called you back. I don't know if you got my message, but someone is recording in Studio A. I asked them if they would switch, and they said no. And Gene said, do they know that Gene Simmons <laughs> from KISS is here? And he goes, you know what? If you want to ask him, you can ask him. I'm not going to ask him again. And he said, all right, where's Studio A? And he goes, it's all the way down the hall. It's the last door on the right. So Gene goes walking down the hallway, opens up the door to Studio A, looks inside and sees the Wu-Tang Clan <laughs> recording an album, and then slowly closes the door, comes back up to the front and goes, <clears throat> right, where's Studio B? He never even opened his mouth <laughs> yes. to the Wu-Tang Clan. I fucking love that story. I love that story. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Uh, very entertaining oh, and we'll man. touch on more the next time we do it man but once again I just want to emphasize again how much I value our friendship and uh, being able to spend time with you today uh, is just something I was really looking forward to so thank thanks, you for making thanks, time thanks Greg um, go Seahawks uh, god damn it Mariners do something god damn it I am really annoyed with it but um, and I want Seattle Supersonics the NBA team to come back to Seattle but yeah I love talking comedy and music and stuff but, uh, but our love for sport Seattle sports I mean I can't think any other Seattle comedian 
that care about Seattle sports scene than you. Yeah. There's no one. You know, I, I care about it too, but uh, the gap between you and I is still big, you know. And, I have uh, a big love for underdogs, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, someday, someday we'll make it happen. And uh, the belief in that. Um, they will go World Series, Mariners. That, that there will be a day that we will we will get it, and someday we'll have our time to shine. It's it's uh, the odds are always stacked against us, but someday we'll make it. I just think it's something that just carries over into life, and uh, uh, and the Seahawks. Uh, it's it's like right place, right time. So many crazy elements have come together at the right time that the Seahawks team is going to be a great team for a long time. I'm very excited about that. So. Yeah, I'm stoked. It's gonna be um, it's gonna be some good years of football. Hopefully, the Mariners will get their shit together eventually. So. Yeah, but. Craig, thanks for doing it, and uh, please everyone support Craig. And um, I, 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 by the time this is um, uh, available to the public, I should be in Sweden. But I, I want all my uh, the few fans I have in Scandinavia. I want you guys to do your best ability to. Um, add him uh, on your Twitter account and invite him to Craig to Scandinavia because Craig. Uh, it's unbelievable. People in Scandinavia are wonderful groups of people. That's what I've heard. And uh, they're a great comedy uh, fan. And uh, let me tell you something. Girls who are considered five in Scandinavia, there are at least eight in the States. Really? Yeah. It, it's it's like uh, <laughs> a fucking Lord of the Rings. Just like visiting <laughs> elves or something. You know, these, these girls are just amazing. And uh, they're just incredibly beautiful. And people are kind. And uh, they're a very smart, savvy audience. And uh, I highly recommend everybody to go to Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. And if if America wasn't my home, I, I think Scandinavia is my place I would like wow. to live. They treat the women the best in the whole world. I mean, really? Yeah. In terms of... Uh, access to education and, and uh, uh, reproductive rights and uh, health of women and uh, equal gender equality things like that. There's wow. n- there's nowhere in the world that treat women as well as Scandinavia. Who knew that in the same conversations we talk about how much you don't trust hookers and then talk about women's <laughs> rights yeah. in the same conversation? I'm a complicated guy. We we really like covered it all in this conversation. Thank you, Yoshi, and I will see you guys soon. Thanks, guys. Bye.